This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to Practically Pastoring, a podcast by pastors, for pastors, who want to share ideas, become better shepherds, and have a good time with friends. My name is Frank Gill. I am a campus pastor in the beautiful and sunny Milwaukee, Wisconsin. All the way in Baltimore, Maryland, Jeff Simpson. Hey, hey. Down in Sumter, South Carolina, my friend Damar Pete. Hello there. Somehow COVID-free in Safety Harbor, Florida, Andrew Larson. I'm pretty sure my family had it back in January, so I have antibodies. <laughs> All right. And lastly, sitting in for Timothy, he's the vice president of church planning for Converge Mid-America, and he used to be my boss down in Nashville, Tennessee, Danny Parmalee. Good to be here. Danny, I'm glad you're here. Um, uh, I just wanted everyone to get to know you a little bit better. Um, I obviously know you because you uh, started the church that I am now a campus pastor of. Um, you planted Epicos back in 2004. Is that right? Yeah. Mo- moved in 2004, launched in 2005. Yeah. And, and a small church plant, um, on the East side near like the college areas of Milwaukee, Wisconsin started, I think like in your living room and it's grown over yep. to a group. But when you left, there was three campuses over 2000 people. And, uh, you made the smart decision to make your first youth pastor me. <laughs> and uh, that was a great choice. And now uh, you are the vice president um, at the the kind of the, the the network of the affiliation of churches that Epicos is in, Converge Me America. Can you tell us more about like what you do, some more about your journey? We'd love to know more about you. Yeah, uh, well, absolutely. Um, you know, part of it really stemmed from when Epicos was planted in 2005. And uh, after some time that Epicos began to grow, I, I did get involved with Converge Church Planning, both within the city, regionally and nationally as well. Uh, and so um, after a certain amount of time, 2017, uh, I made kind of the leap from just, you know, leading and and doing a lot of that church uh, planting stuff as part of the ministry to full time do that. So the easiest way to kind of understand my job is that I uh, recruit and train, coach and deploy church planters. However, I'll say and we can get into this maybe later is it's really recruitment is probably the worst word uh, to use uh, because it's not really what I do. It's really helping planters discern if they're called to church planning, where recruitment kind of has this feeling like anybody's willing to do it, you know, sucker will sign you up and throw you into church planting. So I feel like, um, you know, I know three of us here, well, two of, yeah, three of us here came from youth ministry into this new role. And then Jeff came from the worship world into this role. And like, I know in the youth ministry world, the biggest sin you can commit is leave youth ministry to become a senior Mm -hmm. pastor or a campus pastor. So you have you've left the lead pastor role to work for basically yeah. a denomination. Yeah. Why? Like, what, what was that decision yeah. to to kind of leave the church world into a denominational role? 
Yeah, and uh, we like to say network instead of denomination because um, it just sounds better. No one wants to be part of a denomination uh, these days. But you, you know, the biggest thing for me is is that I was able to use my gifts and ability to pastor pastors instead of yeah. uh, just uh, and pastor church planters. Uh, it was definitely hard uh, leaving the church, um, but to be honest, I get to use. Uh, my gifts just in a different, uh, different capacity. Uh, so I'm, you know, I still get the opportunity to preach uh, when I want to preach. Um, and I also get to say no, because uh, when you're a lead pastor, it's like, man, having to preach every single week, like it's just coming where now I can, you know, if I need to, to be able to say no, I, I can't, uh, I can't do that. So, so for me, it's been just a really, really great transition. I've been able to pour into younger church planners and to help them honestly avoid a lot of the mistakes that I made in the early years and to be able to pass that on to them. So I really do in a lot of ways. I, I tell people all the time that I am, I'm living the dream. I have the dream job uh, to be able to do that right now. So I know um, in a little bit, we're going to talk about church planting and church marketing, which by the way, my church has one of the most interesting ads in a mall that I've ever seen. And I think like, I think numbers wise, like one in every like five people who come to our church come because of this ad in the mall. So we'll talk about that later. But do you guys have any questions for Danny before we, we continue on? Oh, uh, well, uh, OK. Same question I got last week. Then have you seen Hamilton? <laughs> nope. <laughs> I haven't seen Star Wars. Haven't seen Titanic. Don't watch a lot of movies. So I almost <laughs> lost. I almost lost this job that I have because the uh, board said, you know, like the new Star Wars movie. Like, have you seen that? I'm like, I haven't seen Star Wars. And like some of the pastors were literally, literally like, I don't think this guy can work here. Like this just this is just <laughs> unbelievable. But no, I haven't seen Hamilton. I got I got super peer pressured by the guy. I felt super peer pressured by the guy. I was like, we're Me just too. hanging out. I One wasn't. night I, I get this message from Jeff. He's watching. I'm like, man, now I'm the only guy who's not seen it. So. I went I've seen back Frozen porch. 2 about five times in the last week. <laughs> well, so yes. how old are your kids? <laughs> yeah. That's King George. Yeah. So, yep. the, yeah, Kristoff is one of the main characters of Hamilton. Okay. Wait, Can we talk oh. about, though, King George needs to control his saliva in, in Hamilton. Right? Like, I was thinking I cannot the deal with I had thing. to look away. I had to look I, away. passion, guys. Passion I just enough. love it. I think it's beautiful. I figure he's on stage so, so much less than everybody else. I just imagine him like being in front of a mirror, being like, what can I do to really sell this? Just preening and, and spitting was yeah. what he landed on. Well, well hey, I, I, I did tell you all last week I didn't think I would like it, but I am just going to admit I was wrong. Is actually pretty dang good compared yeah. to The Last Jedi. <laughs> Super entertaining. I, I didn't say that last part, but Hamilton was good. I actually started watching the, uh, the documentary on Hulu about their improv group. Yeah. Um, Honestly, that's what the best it? thing about the movie movie because this got me looking up who was Hamilton. How did his son really yeah. die? Like now, I'm I'm going down all these rabbit holes. So, but, uh, Danny, I got, I, I got a question. I do, about, I do have one question for you though, Danny. Well, before you ask that question, I just yeah. have a question about Nashville. Like, yes. okay. now that you live in Nashville, do you love country music and or Dolly Parton and or okay, the Predators? So, uh, well, I've, al I've always loved the Predators. That's another story for another time. But um, so I, I do live pretty close to Kelly Clarkson, whose house is now for sale. Uh, so um, I have never seen her. And uh, also Taylor Swift as well, because I'm in Hendersonville. So it's just right outside of of, of hmm. Nashville uh, and where she grew up. And um, I have never seen... 
Taylor Swift either, though my wife and daughter say that they have a couple times seen her in her Cadillac when she comes back to visit her family and stuff. You said, but, you said picture um, and didn't happen. Mm-mm. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, I don't uh, really like country music that much unless I'm painting. And I don't mean like artistically. I mean, just for whatever reason, like if I'm painting a room, country music just seems to be what I need to listen to if I'm Some Garth rolling Brooks a in wall the or doing something like that. But uh, Nashville Preds, 100%. Uh, I worked uh, with the uh, with the Preds actually when I was in Milwaukee because that's where their AHL affiliate uh-huh. team is and I'm a hockey player. And so actually when I moved to Nashville, the only people that I knew were hockey players, which was kind of fun. So. I'm a big hockey fan. I was a Lightning fan. I moved up here to Baltimore, yeah. And then, so what stinks is the team everybody pulls for here is is Caps, and they're in the same division. So it's like I don't know what to do. As a Lightning fan, we don't like the Caps very much. I know, man. Yeah, I grew up. I grew up all the way. I grew up just hating Ovechkin, and now I'm like, but he is kind of good though. So no, my question for you was, um, well, number one, I have very very fond formative memories of Nashville because I went to Passion there. Um, whenever that was, and I ate at Rippy's barbecue. And like when I drove back through with my wife a few years later, I was like, we got to go to this barbecue place and did that whole thing. Nice. But, uh, my, so converge, I know a converge in Orlando. Is that like the headquarters? Yes. That the same. That's the national headquarters is in okay. Orlando. Yep. Before uh, I want to, I want to, I know you have a, a podcast to share. I want to share this one story so you guys can get to know a little bit of, of Danny's kind of personality. Um, when, right when, uh, he was leaving, you know, it was, it was an emotional, I mean, he's the, the founding planter of this church. And so it was a, it was a big like rip for a lot of people when he said he was going to leave here. And, um, and at that point I actually took over his office, which we could talk about officing at this church in another day, because there basically are no offices in our church because we just have a habit of taking old buildings and making great sanctuaries, but no practical space whatsoever anywhere else in the building. But, um, so I'm like in this tower with no air conditioning all the way up there. But, but, uh, but Danny literally texted me, I don't know, like the week of you were moving to Nashville and he was like, Hey Frank, um, I need to tell you something. Um, I need to show you something. And I haven't really shared this with anyone else. And it's, it's in the, it's in the basement and he's texting me this and and like I was sharing this with my wife, and I'm like, like he's, he's it's creeping me out. And he was saying that like there is these remains in the basement, and I was like, I was like, I'm not like into the scary stuff or whatever. And 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 I've shared this with Danny before. Like my church, Epicos, the the, the campus I'm I, I was in has been featured in this YouTube video of like these ghost hunters. And so, like, there's, like, a 30-minute YouTube video of people, like, kind of going through the building looking for ghosts because apparently, like – because it used to be a, a theater back it's in like the 1930s. Theater, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so, finally, <laughs> finally, he comes up to my office. And he's like, are you ready? And I was like, I guess. I'm, I, let's go. And he takes me down to this basement. And, like, like literally outside the sanctuary, everything has, like, been frozen in time from, like, before the 50s. And he takes me to the basement, which I don't make a practice of going down to very often. And he takes me to this room and it has like modern electricity. But for whatever reason, he's like, oh, this isn't good. We got to turn it off. And he turns off the power into the room and he lights a tea candle. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> I don't even remember this. He, so. li- he, li- he lights a tea candle. For- and like, the whole time I'm like, 
I think he's trying to be funny, but like what he doesn't know is like I'm the kind of guy that like if I get scared, I will immediately just start punching. And so I'm like, I'm like, I say, Danny, like please, if something jumps out, I'm like, don't let this out. And so he gets a tea candle and he goes up to one of these like giant old school furnaces that um like literally like back in the day used to put like I don't know wood or it was coal. An, it was it was a coal incinerator for the um <laughs> for the theater and yeah. uh yeah. He opened it up and he puts it in there and he's like, Frank, do you see this? And I'm like, I don't want to get close. Like if I see like a, a skull or something, like I'm going to leave the ch- – I'm going to follow him to Nashville. Like I don't want to be here anymore if I see a dead body. Anyways, long story short, it was a dead bird. Um, a dead bird like, that like came in through like the chimney or something and got – and like animals get stuck in there and yeah. it scared me. And But what I appreciate about it – is that Danny said afterwards, he's like, now what I want you to do is use this as a sermon illustration one day because you'll have like a really good sermon illustration. I was like, I'm always down to find a good sermon illustration to whatever extent we take. So that's kind of Danny's personality. I really appreciated that final moment before he they, left. Thanks so. for the reminder. I honest, I mean, I remember the bird thing, but when you said, hey, I think I might I might share this story. I'm like, I honestly, I don't remember <laughs> um, doing that, but that sounds in line so <laughs> it was for sure hey, uh, you before, would do. before we go into clergy cliff notes um i know you have a new podcast that just came out um i would love to hear more about that and and so we can get our listeners especially if there's any church planners listening um to hear more about what you're doing on that show yeah it's uh it's pretty simple i do a couple different podcasts but the new one is 101 questions uh, that church planters ask and basically the whole premise behind it is like, I, you know, I coach a number of church planters and they have these questions that are just so practical that I, you know, we kind of take for granted. Like, you know, how do I get my 501c3 or should I use a credit card or a debit card or should I use MailChimp or Constant Con? You know, just so a lot of them are very, very short. Uh, there's some that are a little bit, you know, larger kind of theoretical, but a lot of them are trying to just answer a very, very practical question. And uh, church planners can, you know, they can go on the blog, churchplannersask.com, and they can enter their questions there. And that's also where the material comes from, uh, as well as just ones that I know have been asked over and over and over again. So yeah, so I'm pretty excited about it. We just launched it a couple weeks ago. So I think there's 11 episodes on there now, but we drop them uh, every week, uh, Monday at 7 a.m. I think I just saw that you just um, the newest episode is like how to pick elders or how to find elders. Mm -hmm. I I was listening. I was listening to the clip and you were like, if someone who is joining your launch team was like, I used to be an elder. I'm ready to be your elder. You're like, that's a red flag. Don't do that. Absolutely. Run away. (laughs) Yeah. And don't and don't you have another podcast? With Ed Steitzer? Uh, yeah, so I, I do uh, newchurches.com. It's Q&A with Ed Steitzer. And so those are just uh, – those are once a month. And actually, I think you were – you were on that one, right, Frank? Weren't you yeah. on that? Yeah, you should. Yeah. Have, you should have. Uh, did you like screenshot that and pub, you know publicize that and throw that out there? If not, I'm sure I can grab a screenshot uh, for you. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, has it gone live yet? I, I've been waiting. Yeah, they are. But so the thing with newchurches.com is that um, for a lot of that content, it's locked unless you pay a membership fee, uh, um. which is kind of unique. A lot of church planners don't have enough money to even <laughs> do that unless their denomination is uh, paying for it. So I, I, yeah. I, I do believe um, that a lot of the SBC guys, Andrew, aren't you SBC? No, Delmar is. Delmar is. Delmar is. Uh, that a lot of the SBC church planners that they get a free subscription to newchurches.com. So. <laughs> You're like, you didn't even know about that. Um, yeah, I, I, I we, we, had, we had a good I, – I never thought in my entire life 
when I after I graduated Bible college, uh, I would have a, a a half hour conversation with Ed Stetzer about youth ministry. That was like a yeah. really weird moment in my life, but yeah. I loved it. <laughs> it was it was, a, it was a really dope opportunity. Hey, let's dive into clergy cliff notes. Hey, Andrew, what do you have for us today? Well, there's a story. I, the one that I sent around was from the New York Post, but really, it is everywhere right now. It's you you name it. If you Google Canuck. Um, it's coming up. Canuck Camp, which is one of the biggest Christian camps on the planet, depending on the summer. Uh, Canuck and Pine Cove typically go back and forth with who's the biggest, depending on who's built new cabins and all this stuff. And uh, they are this massive camp, and they had 80-some campers and staff get sick with the Rona once they had opened back up. Here's this massive camp. That is one of the leaders in the industry. If you don't know the camping world, there's an accreditation body kind of like SACS if you're a college in the Southeast or ACSI if you're a Christian school, but it's this camp accreditation body. And this is one of the poster kids for this body. And they have 80 plus people get sick at camp. And the article is not from a Christian perspective. And it's kind of, you know, what are these people doing? But just the the broader thing in church world or in parachurch world right now is these parachurch ministries are struggling. And so camps are making the decision to open that probably shouldn't be opening. Right now, I'm supposed to be speaking at a camp uh, in Lake Wales, Florida. It's one of my favorite places on the planet. My wife and I met there. I get to go back and speak there just about every summer. I have a long history there too. And they announced on Friday that they were done for the year because they had some campers get sick after waiting to start their season until July 26th, July, uh, sorry, June 26th. So they had three weeks of camp and then had to pull the plug on the rest of their summer. So, yeah, I, I want to talk about, you know, Canacock, obviously, because they're the big name. They're the brand name that everybody knows. But just in general, Whereas churches seem to be doing all right in this season and people are continuing to give these parachurch ministries that depend so much on customers, you know, whether it be what was the World Changers, the SBC missions organization that was 50 some years old had to close. Parachurch organizations are just struggling right now. And so they're making these financial decisions that are not the right decision. And I wonder what it's going to look like for the future of camp, for the future of Bible colleges, because there's going to be a whole lot of students going to their local community college instead of going to their local Bible college in the fall. So it's going to be an interesting next few years for parachurch ministry. Yeah, man. I mean, Frank and I's alma mater for Bible college. My father-in-law is the uh, academic dean. So like, I mean, the last uh, few weeks of conversations with him are all about how are they going to reopen? Um, and yeah, it's a tough one, man. I, I have to say, like, related to this, there's a couple things it makes me think of. Number one, it makes me think of what Andy Stanley did um, in terms of, I mean, I, re- I know that that that's so crazy sounding, but I respect the leadership to just be able to say, like, I'm just going to go ahead and make this hard decision. And, you know, no matter what he did, it was going to people were going to be either side going to be frustrated with him. I respect the leadership. I'm not sure that that works for every church. And what I wonder is, you know, I think with camps, it's like their business is an in-person business. It's an inherently in-person thing. You can't do like digital camp. I mean, you can, but it's like, 
it's not the same thing. And I wonder how many uh, small, predominantly older congregations are actually going to close during this because they don't know how to deal with the technology. Um, I know that myself, I've been helping out an older guy in my neighborhood make his sermon videos. And like, if I wasn't doing that, I don't think he would, I don't think they would be doing anything right now. So yeah, I, I think just, it has more to do with the pastor than the, than the congregation. Cause well, but our I, have folks, ages, I have folks in my church who like, and, and I'm sure you do too in Florida. Yeah. I mean, older folks who just struggle to like figure out how to get on. I mean, at this point I'm like, guys, it's been like three months. Like, you know, you can figure out how to get on zoom, but I just wonder how many churches that like maybe didn't start off right away with online stuff because their pastor was older. Maybe he was close to retirement or whatever. And they just kind of like fizzled out. We have a church that rents our building that ended up closing. Um, one of our two or three, we have three, we had three renters. Now we have two and they were very small and they just were like, yeah, we're just not gonna, we're just not gonna make it. So I wonder how much of that's going on that like, we're not going to find out about for another six months or something. I think in regards to like churches and meeting and whether they should or shouldn't, I think that goes back to like, you have to, you have to lead wisely, but you also have to understand and know your people. I mean, I have a friend here in town and his congregation is primarily 55 and up. And he, the first week he tried to we, do a Zoom call. We call those young people at my church. Okay, yeah. So you, so you know, like yeah. the first week he tried to do a Zoom call and it just, pfft. next week he tried to do Facebook Live. Pfft. Eventually he actually pays for a conference call service. And now his people actually come in and treat it like a conference call from the 70s. They dial a number and then they have to dial another number to get in. And then he sets his phone in front of him at the pulpit for the ones who are in the room and he's just, preaching on there on the conference call listen to him preaching and i for me a lot of it is like how can we reach them um and i think that's pretty creative but back to your camp point man that is very touchy because even we had several churches in this community come back from camp with covid it's not just a isolated thing here i know of several churches and i think the churches who handled it best were transparent the whole way through with their communications. Like they told the parents up front, we can refund you your money, but if they go to camp, like we're going to do everything we can, but you have to assess the risk, yeah. you know, because I think churches, like if we're just going to go and, and guilt parents into making their kids go, that's different. I think churches got to lead in and be transparent and say, Hey, listen, no guilt if you can't or don't want to go. And then as far as me as the staff, and this is something I would tell my student pastor if he took kids to camp, do not be posting any pictures of them hanging on each other. Yeah. Like, listen, we all know how camp is. You it's know gonna what's happen. going down there. Yeah, it's going to like they're going to be hanging out at the pools, but that does not go on social media at all. And I You're think not posting me, a single picture without masks on, without people yeah. noti noticeably apart. And <laughs> And me and, and Tim, we have we regularly share screenshots of our buddies. And I've got a, a buddy who's a youth pastor, and they they were at camp last week, and he kept posting these pictures of, "Hey, here's twelve kids in a van." I'm like, "Oh gosh, why are you posting that?" Yeah, you're just, you're just asking for angry emails. Yeah, dude. I even think like I'm even like wary now of posting. I was literally yesterday, or yeah, yes yesterday afternoon. Maybe Saturday afternoon. I don't remember. Everything's a, a fog now. But uh, uh, I was out and about. Uh, there's a city here called Ellicott City, and we decided to go eat at a restaurant that has a big covered outdoor area. Um, and so 
I was out there and then, which, you know, I wasn't wearing a mask while I was eating outdoors, which is pretty safe. Um, and our numbers in Maryland are going down right now. So I'm starting to feel okay with that kind of stuff. And then we decided to go walk this old historic downtown. And I was sitting on a bench in this random old historic downtown eating a little bowl of ice cream that I had bought. And a church member texts me and says, hey, I see you sitting outside. Why aren't you wearing a mask? I was like, dang, man. And they were like, you know, I know you're outside. I'm just kidding around. And they were just being funny. But it was like I immediately was like panic mode. Like, oh, great. Now I'm, you know, I'm being inconsistent. So it's just like it's so hard, man. Danny, I was wondering from your perspective as, you know, thinking church planting wise, I'm in kind of a replant situation. So one of the things I'm wondering, you know, what advice would you share for guys who are like me at an established church? that are basically in this situation where we we really do have an opportunity to hit the reset button right now. Like we can make drastic changes right now. And basically, you know, it was COVID. We yep. had to make changes. So like, what, how would you advise? We had to a change guy, that logo. Right. That right, logo right. was we, awful. And because of COVID, hey, we had to change it. We had to change our service time. But even beyond that, like now is the opportunity to make those drastic changes. I feel like, man, we're not going to do this in the service and we are going to do this. Or even beyond that, like, we're not going to be so Sunday centric. We're going to do other things during the week. Like, what would you, how would you coach a guy in that situation? Yeah, well, absolutely. One of the things that I've, and I had my own freak out moment, first of all, when this all uh, started, I was actually in uh, Destin, Florida, uh, spring break, they started shutting down all the beaches. And I, um, you know, I've shared with a number of people, I looked over at my wife, and I said, man, two things. One is, uh, I'm so glad I'm not a lead pastor right now. And uh, number two, I might need to find a different job. Like, is church planning dead? I mean, my whole job revolves around gathering people together and training people how to launch a church out of that. Uh, but I've seen, actually, that I think that the pandemic can be a blessing in two areas. First of all, is I do believe that there is a great pruning of the church that's happening right now. And I'm really careful as I share that. I know that's some of what you were speaking about with the camps and parachurch. But if there's an unhealthy church going into the pandemic, this may be the thing that just, um, um, you know, is is the straw that breaks the camel's back on it. And it's I don't, accelerating. Yeah, and I don't mean just small churches. This can be huge, large mm-hmm. churches that have invested so much in facilities, so much in Sunday, and there was unhealth for their message, their method, whatever it is, and that this is going to be used to kind of, you know, um, prune them, so to speak. So I mean that in a positive sense, because we know that from a biblical perspective, that uh, pruning is what precedes growth. And I think that we're going to see that in the church. Uh, The second thing that uh, I think that we're seeing because of the pandemic is ingenuity. And that kind of goes to your question. This is an opportunity for church plants, established churches, replants to think creatively, um, evangelism is still going to happen. Discipleship is still going to happen. Prayer is still going to happen. Bible study is still going to happen. It's just going to be done differently. So, I mean, I'll tell you the biggest thing that often holds leaders and pastors and church planters back is the fear of failure. You have the most wonderful excuse now to try anything you've ever wanted. And if it flops, uh, sorry, that was, that was, that happened during COVID. So we tried this outreach <laughs> idea. We tried yeah. this church planning model or this small group model, whatever it is, and you literally can blame it on COVID. And right along with what you said, I can't affirm enough. If you've been wanting to change something, change staff, change name, change meeting time, location, whatever it is, now's your opportunity. You can just change it. I say go wholesale on it. 
change everything. Just, just go for what, I mean, what's the worst that can happen? You're going to get fired right now. I mean, if you're getting fired from a church in the middle of COVID, then you probably, you know, you've got, uh, it, it could be a lot worse. So anyways, I say, this is your opportunity. Absolutely go for it. Make those changes now and, and try it's a, it's an experimenting time. It might not work. So then you regroup and try something else. I remember when Perry Noble was launching, uh, the second chance church and he was planting the church essentially on Facebook live. And I remember talking to some buddies and be like, that's weird, right? Like, you know, forget the past three years of his life. Like just planting a church on Facebook live is a weird thing to be doing. Right. And now I'm thinking that's brilliant. There's zero yeah. startup cost, right? You know, <laughs> your, your worship leader doesn't need to be in the same room as you. That's a brilliant way to start a church. You don't even need a worship leader. You can use somebody else's worship. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. seem, I mean, Carrie uh, Joe will do a set for you. <laughs> exactly. As long as you promise not to monetize it, you can use it. Right. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I think so. Kind of what I'm hearing is, and I, I kind of super affirm what you were saying about the pruning of the church. I mean, I live in South Carolina and Christmas and Easter Christian, like the cultural Christian thing is just still thick here. But I feel like um, this is we're going through a time where God's like, hey, church discipline should have been happening at the church at large. And it hasn't been. So I'm just going to kind of come in and it's going to hurt maybe a little bit more than it would have if we'd have been being obedient the whole time. So uh, but with that said, I feel like what I'm hearing you with programs is, hey, listen, if the people are pruning, now's the time for us to be looking at our own programs and saying what needs to be pruned here as well. Like, what are the things that we can quit doing? Um, and I think some of the churches that I'm seeing at heart, they're going to they're not going to go to camp this year and they're going to take that money and take that effort somewhere else. And they're going to realize maybe we should have pruned that. Right. Yeah. And that's a I scary think- thought. I, I, I think and to go full circle back to Andrew's thing is like I think one thing I've noticed a lot of churches doing where they would spend like, you know, ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars to go to a big box camp. Um, and they're like, all right, we gotta figure something out. And they may turn it into like a three day kind of like a kind of like a, a VBS for teenagers type of thing, you know, and, and, and you're trying to find these in, in interesting ways and maybe not necessarily spending less money, like saving money from camp, but they're, they're repurposing that money in a way that is more internal. And then if they come on the other side and like, yo, that was good, then they might not go back to the big camps and they might not go back to those places, which it's like, I said this to someone else. Um, like I, I don't want, big camps to go away one because i like speaking for them <laughs> you know like, I, like, <laughs> I like i like them making me travel and they're gonna be speaking at their events like i i hope ciy comes back i hope student life comes back i hope i hope all these places come back but at the same time like i think with with this pandemic it's gonna cause a lot of especially smaller churches where like money's harder to raise they're gonna really think about do we need to get in a bus and go, you know, to a different state when we can do something pretty decent in house? And and I think like in the same way that there's like a great pruning in the church, I think there's going to be somewhat a pruning in the parachurch, which, you know, I I think personally, it's like I have mixed feelings with some parachurch organizations, but I also have like a lot of strong affections for a lot of parachurch organizations. And I think like if this causes all parachurches to like really examine like how are we going to survive this to be a a 2020 version of a parachurch organization like 
it's probably not a bad thing, but there's probably going to be some entities that we're not going to see again because they either got bought up, they sold, or they couldn't survive it. Which And, and is, that is even our situation. So Converge has a camp in Michigan, and it basically had to shut down, and um, we don't know if it will – survive it's a couple million dollar camp and wow. you know it's it's based on that and that's just part of the reality where what we've been telling everybody else and it's a great pruning well you know the jury's kind of still out on that and uh, those decisions actually are being made in the next couple of weeks because you know they got the ppe but after that runs out it's kind of like well you know like we don't have fifty thousand dollars to feed the horses right now because there's no <laughs> one coming you know i mean it's just ridiculous how much hay those horses eat <laughs> well and it's like like frank when you're talking about ciy or student life those camps or you know they're they're more conferences my my favorite class in seminary was christian camping because it was like the easiest a ever um <laughs> But it was great because it was like the practical ministry side of things for a couple for a third of the class. Then there was like the ministry marketing because marketing and camps is so important. And then the third part was just like the legal and financial side. And insurance costs have like doubled, tripled, and quadrupled for camps in the past ten or fifteen years. And so the camps that are saying, "Hey, uh, University of Tennessee, we're going to rent out half your dorm rooms and your." Uh, stadium or your arena and we're going to bring in the big name music acts that kids don't even listen to anyway um but we're gonna you know we're gonna do we're, we're you know or we're gonna rent out this hotel resort that has the built-in water park we're gonna do our camp there those camps are gonna be fine because they have no overhead it's the camps it's the denominationally owned camps yeah that have property that have horses that have people that live there year round that, yeah, staff are, that just is that, there. yeah that's those are the ones that three years from now there's going to be a bunch of really cute cul-de-sacs where camp used to exist oh uh, it kind of hurt my heart because the camp i've been taking uh the students here is, is what you just described and it's just yeah. like it's almost like a family-owned business where they're like really sweet people but those people not necessarily paycheck to paycheck, but they live year to year. Like, if, yeah, like yeah. a year is affected. In season things. to season, yeah. Season to season. That's probably the better way to put well, it. Well, and I think the other part of this to, to you know, to, to think, you know, discipleship-wise, like I was – I have very profound discipleship moment memories that happened at camp. And if camps don't exist for two or three years, there are students in student ministry right now who will not have those experiences. So what does that mean for their discipleship? I mean – you know, it just exposes the reality that as as lead pastors and as you know, some of us student pastors listening to this, um, you, I mean, this is an opportunity for your discipleship to go from kind of the big camp moment to a really one on one personal discipleship thing, which maybe should have been all along. It's just a, it, it's just a revealing kind of an exposing of um, the way we've depended on uh, sometimes camps to do that aspect of discipleship that's just not available now yeah no more microwave discipleship and and we'll go on to the next topic and say but one thing danny actually like i didn't know this even exists until i came to this church but it's the simple church model right where like the focus is on the preaching the worship and small groups is that an accurate like summary of it basically that's a book right yeah there's a there's a book you stole my idea i'm not (laughs) better but (laughs) but in that simple church model it's like like the 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 extra stuff not that it's bad like we, i mean there's some good stuff that comes extra stuff but it, it, it forces you to hone in on the main issues and i think what you just said jeff is is the thing that really challenged me like in the last two years of me doing student ministry was with all the conversations of like 
you know, when you have a student that's LGBT and they want to go to camp, what cabin do you put them in? Or when you have all these different kind of complications to what is typical student ministry or whatever, if student ministry is the full, if, if, if camp is the focal point of your student ministry, then like, what happens when you take that out? Is your student ministry like gone? Like you have to in, like be um, innovative to create those moments or create those discipleship pathways that doesn't um, have to attach itself to a big event. So then I think of like churches that use like really big conferences or, um, you know, really big events or even churches that like have giant arenas for their sanctuaries. And like, that is the main way they do it. You know, I appreciate stuff like Andy Stanley saying, you know, we're going to divest that money from those big events and focus it on community outreaches. Yeah. Like there's something there that is 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 going to kind of reshape the way we look at church. Or maybe it won't. Maybe after there's a vaccine for COVID, we'll all just have amnesia. And in 2021, in December, we're all going to passion again. Like, I don't know, you know, but like <laughs> – right. But like the reality is, is like I think there is this 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 shift that's happening, that um, that some people won't come out the other side of this, and it's it sucks because like you guys all said, like, there's some nostalgia tied to some of these these places. Delmar, so, you have yeah. a, a clergy cliff note uh, about mental health and pastors. Yes, um, you took away my lead, man, because I bad. had something for the Baptist Press <laughs> News, and I was going to talk about we have seven different ways to cook casserole dishes, <laughs> but comfort food, um, which honestly, comfort food has been getting a lot of people through. But yeah, no, seriously though, um, we are. I, I was looking around, and some of this was just a uh, pouring out of my own heart, just um, trying to figure out like what does ministry look like right now. And I ran across this article talking about the mental health of pastors right now and how over 55% of them um, that are surveyed says that their stress level dramatically increased once COVID began. And, and the author was talking about how, you know, in the past, and, and maybe you're guilty of this, I am guilty of it. Uh, whenever we would start feeling like down or depressed or whatever, it was really easy just to like dig further in your work. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to meet with that person one more time. I'm going to take all my stuff and block it out by caring for other people's stuff. And now that has been absolutely removed in a lot of ways. And the only thing left for us to do is to look at our own wounds and say, hey, how are we caring for our own self? Like, how are we taking care of our own self? So I guess uh, kind of a question I had is, have you noticed, have you personally noticed the stress in the last six months? And like, what are you doing to help take steps in the world of, we'll just call it self-care? I don't know, like the 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 structures of other multi-site churches, but I know one thing that's a unique role for a campus pastor is it's like you have all the responsibility but no authority. Does that make sense? Like, like you you have like the, Danny's <laughs> laughing. <laughs> like, so there's like there's like huge weight, and like you have all these people, and these people will like email you, and they'll be upset or whatever. But like, you don't necessarily have the authority to 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 do any. You can't like, hey, we're gonna change the sermon series now. Like, that's up to a centralized team or whatever. Frank, right? if I was your lead pastor, I would let you do whatever you wanted. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. But like, I will say like being in this new role, it's like, it's kind of interesting because I can kind of dis detach because I know I don't necessarily have to make some of those decisions. Like the decisions I get to make are like, 
you know, what goes in the announcements on the on the chat feed on Facebook for my live services. Like that's a very low risk situation. Well, actually, it sounds like Dave's giving you more freedom than I would have given you. So <laughs> <laughs> that's that's my my role right now. But when it comes to um when it comes to this, like I just think like like if I were a senior pastor right now and I know we're dealing with all the decisions for COVID and then also all the issues of like our cultural moment when it comes to race, like it's, I think it, like I'm not even in a, like an authoritative role right now. And it's stressful for me. Like, like I, I, I get to like just observe and I'm just like kind of taking mental notes. Like if I'm ever sitting, sitting in this seat 10 years from now where I'm the lead guy and I have to be in a situation, like I'm just observing what other people are doing. And I know as I'm just thinking about it, like I'm making wrong decisions in my mind and I'm stressed about it. And so, so like, I would love to hear from like Andrew and Jeff who are like the leads right now. I know Jeff, you know, we were talking about like in your sermon series, you're getting pushback, but you know, when it comes to your decisions of opening and closing, you're getting pushback. It's like, so it's a, it's a zero win game here, but, but how are you guys handling the stress and all that? The, first 11 weeks were so easy because the clarity was just there and it was hey we are on the stay at home order we're we're not coming back so here's what we're going to have to do and it's great the week 12 to whatever like 314 whatever week we're on now is just a, it's a different level and there's uh, there's not infighting within the elders but there's there's just different perspectives and I don't think there is anybody that is passionless when it comes to what they think is right right now. There's there's not three sides to the coin. There are two sides to the coin and very little crossover. And so, you know, you're you're managing people yet you're still needing to get people to tune in or show up depending on the week and what the numbers happen to be looking like. And then I'm also in Florida, so in March, April, and May, we were, hey, man, you other big states, you guys really messed up. Look at us. We're doing great. And now I don't know if people have just been licking doorknobs or what, but now everybody (laughs) is, you know, the numbers are just setting records every day. I think three times last week, we set a new record for the most numbers in any state on a given day. And so we're, we're constantly having to look at numbers and pivot. But then also right now where we're at is if our state is not going back to a stay at home order and so our praise team is coming in and playing live on sunday morning how are how can we then tell people that they're not allowed to come in and it's just exhausting i'm i'm leaving for vacation in about 5 hours and i'm so excited because shut your phone off I man i just get yep. to be away Power it down. and and I think it'll be great to be like, hey, these decisions got made and things got done, and I and I didn't have to be the one to make yeah. the call. I think that's going to be so good and so healthy. Yeah, I think for me it was the same. Like I found myself, especially at the beginning, uh, you know, it was in terms of decision making, it was easier because of the stay at home order. And then it was like every week I was like watching the governor's press conference, and I would get stressed out beforehand. Like, what's he going to say? And then, you know, then there were things said, you know, from Washington about like opening by Easter. And then that caused me to be 
kind of stress. I think the the hardest part for me, and this goes to some of my some of the insecurities that you know I I know that I deal with, um, where I want everyone to like every decision that I make and to like not only like do I want elders to agree with me, but I want them to be like, yeah, that's a great idea. And, you know, they are mature enough to agree with me and say, we'll follow your leadership. But, you know, I, I disagree with you, but it's your call. And it's like my insecurities make that not even good enough sometimes. I want them to, like, love everything I'm saying. And, you know, that that's kind of an arrogant position to be in um, for me because it means I basically assume that my take on everything is the right take. Um, and it's not necessarily the right take, but and at the same time, you know, in a small church, there is a sense in which the buck stops with me. Like they're, you know, my folks are great and they're going to listen to what I decide. Um, so which just means that I really have to, it, it just takes a lot of effort to make that particular decision. And then the, the mask thing is part of it. Um, we've got, you know, a lot of opinions about masks or no masks and inside or outside. So right now our thing for, for basically for the sake of unity in our church, we're meeting outside. Um, and you know, Sunday, this last Sunday was the hottest it's been, it was like 88, but we were under shade and it was a breeze and it wasn't too bad. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I grew up in Florida where 88 is like, Oh, it's cool today. And I'm laughing. So yeah, <laughs> you know, but 88 in the shade with a breeze yeah. is not bad. And it's a 30 minute service. I mean, I would like to be inside in the air conditioning too, but when I look at the numbers and the inside versus outside and for the sake of, um, you know, not creating division over a mask. I mean, I just will not let a virus be the thing that divides my church. I just can't. The, the thing it, that just, just cracks me up is the easy, I don't, don't think people realize like the easiest thing to do would be for us to go back to doing things normally how we were doing it before. So, yeah. so like it, it would be, it would be so much easier. So when, when as the pastor, I suggest, Hey, maybe we should not do this normal thing that we're used to doing what i'm saying in a small church where i'm the tech person and preacher yeah, hey let is, me add 15 hours exactly a week. let me make my week way harder and let me spend no time with my family on saturday night and it's oh you just don't trust god enough it's like, well and my <laughs> wife and i were talking last night and i was kind of i'm a verbal processor and we've recently learned that about me so now she knows in conversations like oh he's just processing out loud not necessarily making a declaration or whatever so but we were just talking and i was processing and i i you know i realized like there are folks who feel strongly both ways about we should be in person or not and inside or outside and how come you're not accommodating and i had to come to the realization like actually i i have put a number of hours into figuring out how to make a live stream work that wasn't, you know, we're live streaming from outside. I like had to make a long ethernet cable and figure out cameras and all this stuff that I'm not normally going to do. So that is in this moment, that is a pastoral effort to try to accommodate folks who either can't be outside because it's too hot or don't want to be inside because it's dangerous. So then the accommodation is you can watch online. And it's almost like in my mind, I almost don't count those hours in my head, but those count. Like, yeah. That's me working towards trying to help my church be unified. And I would say the the way I see mental health issues in my own life right now, and I've never had any diagnosis of any, you know, specific mental health like issue, but I, I notice that I am more edgy and grumpy. Um, and I am more easily like, uh, you know, my go-to like emotional response to things when I'm 
stressed out is to kind of like assume the worst motivation in other people. So I get a text message and I immediately assume they're trying to do something and they were just joking with me. And when I'm not stressed out, I'm, I have a very fun sense of humor. I think, I mean, I laugh a lot and I'm, you know, kind of sarcastic, dry humor, but then when it's like, I get grumpy and that goes away. I'm like suspicious of everybody. Yeah. I think that kind of brings us. I mean, honestly, I think to me that brings us kind of to the heart of, of where I felt even bringing this up. We're in a place where I used to know if you did this thing, you'd get this result. And now we're doing so much. It's like you're trying to fill up a bucket that's got a hole in it. And for some people, the hole's big, for some is small. But I know right now pastors are listening and there are probably quite a bit that are that are burnout. Just to be honest. Or or are on the way to burnout. And I just I just want you to know like there's empathy in this chat because I feel you on that. Um, And if you're right now, you're asking yourself, man, should I even be in ministry now? That's a sign that you're burning out. Or if you're, if, or if you're becoming very cynical, oh, well, she'll go to the mall, but she won't come to church. Like that's a sign that you're burnt out. And I think kind of what, what Jeff was saying, like being aware of your emotions is so important. Like me personally, I've, I've been like keying into or trying to key into when I get emotional. And even last night I was at the dinner table and my wife was like, wow, your response to that question really didn't match like what I was expecting. You're a little on edge. And, and I, and I just want anyone to hear right now, like going to counseling right now is not a weak thing to do. It's not weakness. I will tell you this, that counselors across, at least across here, they're backed up as three weeks to even get into one. So you're not alone in that. Um, And then especially if it's not even like um, ministry based, the cynicism has moved even into like personal worth. Like, how am I doing? Man, I want to encourage you, like, please reach out, even if you have to message us. Um, But Maybe you're kind of, I want to stab at it myself. I just, I I do want to recommend a book that has helped me save me in ministry. It's called Leading on Empty. Have any of you guys read that book? Yep. That book? I haven't read it. I've I've, it. I've read it like twice. I'm about to read it again. It's by Wayne Cordero. And honestly, you have a little bit of free time. I think I think the big thing I'm noticing right now is I'm I'm not giving myself permission to have free time because I feel mm-hmm. like man, if if we're not meeting, I have to be doing something to be earning that paycheck. But like right now what I'm learning is like our congregants they do want us to take care of us. The yeah. reason they're not coming on Sunday is cuz they're trying to take care of their own self and they would hope that we would do the same. So um and and I think a lot of that burnout at least in my world, I think maybe some of you guys share it. Like it does come from performance, right? Like in the past, you can kind of look at your life and know if you're doing well in ministry, at least to some degree. You're like, if I do this thing, I'm meeting with these people, these components are moving. I've got this new um, series coming out. But right now, like a lot of those measurables have been removed or tweaked. And a lot of pastors are thinking, how do I even know if I'm, if I'm doing a good job being a pastor right now? And I think that's a question I would ask, like, have you put any thought, like, how do you know if you're being a good pastor right now when so many of the former measurables have been removed? I had uh, a a lady in my church who is, um, you know, one of the most uh, caring and wise kind of members in my congregation. Um, 
she will text me and say, hey, I really liked how you did this in the sermon, you know, those kind of things. And uh, she's got a master's in Greek. So, like, I respect it when she says it. Mm -hmm. But she said to me the other day, hey, I don't know if you realize this, but and she named two people in our congregation who are single people who are a little bit more on the loner side of the of the spectrum. And one of the things I had started when I first came was missional communities, uh, community groups, whatever you want to call them, but basically smaller groups who live on mission together. And we were trying to change all that. And then COVID hit and everything got thrown out the window. But, <laughs> but one of the, you know, we did those in semesters. And so we were like off of those meeting, but she said to me, you know, if you hadn't done those missional communities for the two years leading up to this, I don't know where this person and this person would be relationally within the church, but because we had those and they connected with those groups, now they are connected to a group of people, even though they're single people who live alone, who kind of are, you know, a little bit more of a loner and they have been connected in, and, you know, I've now heard stories of them, you know, helping each other out and being invited to, uh, like to go out to lunch together outside and things that they wouldn't have been invited to otherwise. So that was encouraging to me. So I think you got to change the metrics of like what it means to be That's pastoring good. well. I don't know if this is like a, a revolutionary thought, but I just know this anecdotally in, in my church. Um, uh, it, it seems like like our generation of pastors, like we really focus on our speaking abilities and and like the, I don't. I'm not saying this in a negative way. We all agree we words have meaning but like the production of the service right like that, that that stuff matters and i think like there's merit in that and i think like there, there, there's good stuff in that but one thing that COVID hits we as like campus pastors we we got together and we're like how can we care for the people in our you know in our, our campuses and like i remember there was like this big plan of like how can we like make sure there's one touch with every single person in our in our mm -hmm. in our in our campuses like it's two thousand people like how are we gonna right. how are we gonna talk to two thousand people like this just seems crazy and and um and like my campus just launched and so i was like you know this is what i'm gonna do i'm it's gonna take me like three weeks but i'm going to write a, a handwritten letter to all 100 and like all, like, like 100 families that are on, on my team or whatever and like my hand hurt and i went through like three pens and every single family that had a little kid in it um, you guys know I have a sticker of my face for my other podcast. I put a sticker of my face in there for the little kids in there. Okay, that and, totally uh, makes sense to me now because I saw people posting with your stickers. And I was wondering if you were just wholesale getting rid of those or something. Because <laughs> I saw people on social media with their little kids, you know. Have, I'm like, how did they get those Frank stickers? <laughs> and, and and like – and that was just like – like I did that because that was just like my perception for my campus, how I was going to make a, a touch point for each one. And like you would have thought like I healed someone, right? Like people were just like this. I've never got a handwritten note from a pastor my entire life. Da, 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 da. This was so meaningful. And like I wasn't trying to do it for the praise. My thing was like this is my last ditch, my last ditch effort to reach my people because I literally don't know any other practical way because we literally can't do other things. And, and I That's think good. like those are those moments where it's like right now the 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 metric is those relationships. It's like those relational yeah. contacts. And so that is for some of us who are in their thirties who like hate talking on the phone. That might mean 
calling Call you know people. the you know the the 16 year old lady who doesn't want to reply to emails that looks like um you know doing those kind of awkward things that that previously it's like man the surface is popping my metrics are good there like now it's 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 doing some more what we may call old school pastoring which is just which is which is like weird to talk about but like i think that's what the metric is if you want to talk about like how are you doing as a pastor how are you like figuring out ways to reach the tangible needs of your people practically um and that it takes ingenuity, and some of the ingenuity is doing how we used to do it. Does that make Old sense? School. Dude, I mean, practically speaking, for younger pastors listening to this with older congregations, write handwritten notes. Yes. I'm telling you what, man. 100%. Like, we have gotten so much mileage difference. out of the, the personal touch. And, you know, forever, you know, I the smallest church that I was ever employed at before taking the church that I'm at now had 800 members when they hired me. And so when I, you know, this church of 40 people, I'm like, Oh, you know, we're too small to do this. We're too small to do that. And now three years later, it's really neat to be in this season. Like, Oh, well we are small enough that I get yeah. to do this. So I'm every, every mother at our church got, you know, my, my, I, I left my wife alone in the house for several hours, which was great for her. And I took my four kids and we drove around to every house in our church that had a mother and gave them a mother's day card and flower from, from my boys. Um, Father's Day, we did something. Uh, this past week, we went out and delivered little t-shirts and uh, beach buckets to the kids' ministry. So every month or so, we're trying to find a way to have that kind of a touch. And it's so nice to be small enough that it's like, oh, okay, well, we're, you know, we need to hit 40 houses. That's not going to cost us $8,000. Sweet. We can do that. Right. And what I'm hearing a lot of y'all saying is, is it really is, it is kind of anecdotal right now. I mean, which is tough because like a lot of us are, have been coming into the world of realm spreadsheets or ACS. And now it's like, sure, you can have those, but it really is just like Frank said, old school pastoring. And, and I think uh, my friend, Sean, who we interviewed, he's on our YouTube podcast. If any of y'all check him out, he's got a, he's exclusive on there, but he says something to me that just kind of, it's so easy, but it, you need to be reminded of it. He's like, dude, just be a pastor. <laughs> like when you're walking around town, just be like, now you have an opportunity to care for someone who six months ago thought they had it all together. You know, and I, I was walking around my community the other day and there's a guy I've been wanting to meet for like two years. And I just, I walk past him all the time. And then that word just said, be this dude's pastor. I just, I just waved at him and I said, Hey man, uh, that's an undercover cop car. Cause his siren was going off. I was like, it's not too undercover right now. And he started laughing and bro, for 30 minutes, he just sat on his front lawn and we just talked. And I was like, man, thanks Sean. And you know what? Like Frank said, I can't measure that. that there's nowhere I put that number, but I do know that's what it means to be a pastor during this situation. That's good. Uh, let's dive into the, the kind of the main discussion thing. I want to talk to, to, to Danny since we have you. Um, uh, you know, I remember when I left Florida, um, you know, years ago, I actually had like a negative perspective of church planners. My perspective was like, why are we planning churches when there's already a, and this is obviously living in the South. It's like, why do we plant churches when there's so many churches there? And, um, 
And I was like, we should be, we should be like Matt Chandler and just revitalize everything. Like we shouldn't be like planting new churches. And then obviously over the years I've matured and I've learned more about like actually church planting is probably the tool God uses to prune the church in many ways. Um, and, 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 and start like gospel centered Bible believing churches and places where faith has maybe have gotten a little bit dormant, but also one thing that, that you kind of helped me understand moving to Epicos is a perspective of church marketing that isn't like gross, if that makes sense. Like, like so much for even the phrase church marketing is almost yeah. like, can't you say that worldly, it, yeah, worldliness. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, it's funny. Cause I, I mean, I do, uh, a few different workshops at, at conferences and I, I think, how do I title this differently? Cause I will lose people by putting church marketing in there that actually could learn and, and benefit from it. And, uh, I think that, um, I'm trying to remember if I, I put one of them was like, is, is church marketing a swear word or something like that, you know, just to try to like capture the attention, maybe a little bit of marketing in there. Um, and I'm a huge fan of it. And and because I boil it down to this is that to me, it's a gospel awareness issue. So if, if we can say, all right, the whole idea is how do you um, make the gospel uh, aware to more people? That's what we want to do. And yes, certainly the church is part of it. And you can go down a path that is gross and corporate, but I don't think we have to throw out the baby with the bathwater type of thing. And so if there are ways that we can say, how do we communicate the gospel, communicate opportunity for people to come and, you know, find out about Jesus, follow Jesus, then we definitely want to do that. Uh, so I'm, I'm a huge advocate. So my, my first question is this. My my brother-in-law planted a church in D.C. Um, you know, he graduated from uh, Southeastern Seminary, got a good church playing degree, and then he went to D.C., planted a church three years later. That three-year time limit came, closed it all down, and it all ended. And now he's at a church actually not too far in Lebanon, Tennessee. But um, What church is like, he at? He's pretty close to me then. Yeah, I actually don't know the name of the church. I always forget to ask. It's actually it's it's a it's a it's, it's a great a church. It's a Sorry, bigger SBC church. It. He's he he's killing it actually. He's a great youth pastor out there. But my question to you is, it's like obviously I doubt COVID nineteen has helped anything. But like, what is kind of like at least within Converge or if you know more nationally, what's the state of church planning um, that's happening right now, kind of in this m- moment? Yeah. So uh, first couple months, I did have um, my church planning pipeline just dried up because everybody was uh, basically wait and see. And like I said and shared earlier, even just for myself, just being like, oh, man, is there even a place for church planning anymore? Um, But what I've seen actually in the last about month, maybe six weeks, uh, there's actually been a resurgence. And some of it were the people that were in the pipeline before that kind of pumped the brakes and said, I just, you know, um, I need to wait and see how this whole thing is going to happen. Uh, but uh, our church plant, some that had just recently launched October, January, February, huge launches, reaching people for Christ. All of a sudden, you can't meet anymore. I'm thinking, man, are they going to survive? And a lot of those church planters are and church plants are thriving. Uh, some that are still 100% exclusive online. So even the church plant that I'm a part of, I'm a part of a church plant. Uh, they went online. They decided to go back to in-person gathering. I think about a month ago, they had 41 brand new people on the day of return that had only found out about the church by watching online. Met for two weeks, and we're now back to only online because of the resurgence of of coronavirus. But it's kind of like we know that it works. We just even saw 
you know, people come to Christ, new people coming to the church. And, um, you know, there's another church, a planter that I'm working with in Clarksville, Tennessee. Two weeks ago, he had seven people come to Christ. And these were not just people that were watching online. These were people where there was pre-established uh, pre-established relationships that were happening within the church. And it was neighbors who now had a peaked curiosity. They had known about the church and now COVID had kind of forced them to ask deeper spiritual questions. So for me, that has now put me back on the excited part to go, absolutely church planting can happen. And uh, again, that whole innovation thing where uh, guys are going, well, man, maybe we can break some of the stereotypes that we have that this is the way that a church looks. This is what church gathering looks like. This is what Sunday looks like. I mean, everything is essentially a clean slate. And so they're getting to try a lot of different things. So it's put me in just definitely an excited place for for guys to uh, to try new things. Yeah. So, so it's almost like, because it seems like church planners... Um, tend to be like more aware of like how to do these online services and how to, how to kind of pivot in those, in those places. Like, do you think like church planners are kind of at an advantage because they're, they're more quicker to adapting to this stuff or uh, yeah, maybe, that's maybe, interesting... maybe from a personality point, the, uh, the adaptability uh, to be able to do it. But even again, for the church plant that I'm a part of launched just in October. So it's under a year old, um, no online services at all. So it was basically March 14th. Hey, guys, guess what? We can't meet anymore because all of a sudden there's this, you know, stay at home order. Uh, how are we going to do uh, online services? OK, someone go get a camera, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> someone go yeah. buy a camera. And now, I mean, I mean, they do just a superb job of doing their online services. They, you know, they were doing pre-recorded. They do do live now I actually preach there this um, this past weekend and and yeah, so so for them it was a matter of drive, and maybe that's part of the personality of the church planner. Hey, we've got an obstacle, we've got a challenge. How do we innovate? How do we overcome it? Uh, type of thing. So that's good. Um, I, I talked about, I hinted towards this earlier. Um, when I when when I left my last church to hear the way I would describe Epicos, and I mean this in the best way because I know this has like a slight negative connotation, but it was the Mars Hill of the Midwest, right? Like it's like that kind of like really kind of cool church in the city where everyone's wearing plaid and has beards. Like that's literally like how I would describe it. And that's what kind of drew me to it because like we talked about this a couple episodes ago. It's like, you know, we kind of grew up on Mark Driscoll and kind of that whole like kind of masculine but like kind of loving the gospel and trying to reach our city and stuff like that um but one thing that i i found out when i came here was there's an ad in the church in, in the mall and it's just kind of a big middle kiosk thing and it, it's a picture of a guy and it's kind of like i guess the chest down and he's holding a bible and he's wearing jeans and he has tattoos on his arm and the ad says would jesus wear jeans and then it's like that's the question. And then it's like service times and like locations of our church. When I tell you literally one out of every five people who fill out a connect card, when they ask, how did you hear about us? They'll say it's that mall ad. And when I go into town and I say, like, I go to Epicos, they'll say, oh, you're that church in Mayfair Mall with the, the, the Jesus jeans ad. And I'm like, yeah, that's us or whatever. <laughs> and, and, it's, and it's interesting because like, you know, as much as our church has changed, that ad's still there and it's still working. And it's probably like the only aspect of our, you know, marketing budget that's still, you know, being used, you know, uh, monthly or whatever. But um, I guess like, you know, 
a, a question I think is beyond just church plans, but everyone in this room is what marketing tips have you seen been like working well? What advice would you give to like, you know, the Jeff and Andrews who are in congregations or like less, like less than a hundred people or whatever, like what would be great church marketing tips right now? Yeah. Well, I want to speak to that ad a little bit too, um, just really quick. Cause I think there's some principles that can be taken from it. Understand that I think it's almost even like cliche and cringy now, obviously when I hear, because it actually, I, I did write it myself and then it got, copied, you know, kind of along the way and people are like, oh, that's so cheesy or whatever. Uh, but here's a thing uh, to explain that is that the image has a lot of dissonance in it. So any visual marketing, I shouldn't say any, a lot of the visual marketing that has worked for myself and others is that there is visual dissonance. In other words, you saw Jesus Bible and tattoo, something, something doesn't fit here. So you literally have like split seconds to grab someone's attention. So that is the visual dissonance of that where you at least go, wait, Jesus jeans. Okay. Jesus and jeans, that doesn't go together. Bible tattoo, that doesn't go together. So it stops someone to just pause and to read. And it's actually, if you read that whole thing, it's, it's really the gospel message in there saying, Hey, it's not about outward appearance because people misunderstood that ad to be like, Oh, you can come to this church and wear jeans has nothing to do about what you can wear to church. It's about that whole, have you been judged because of the outside? Well, that's not the gospel message. And so I, I didn't, I didn't have any qualms about even spending money, sending that out to people because whether they never step foot into the church, they at least got the gospel message in there uh, as well too. So um, obviously right now, um, if you don't have a presence on social media, you are just mi missing millions and millions and millions of people. I mean, the amount of time that people are spending on their phones, on Facebook, on Instagram, on TikTok. I mean, you, you just need to have presence there. And the biggest thing that I say is it is not using those platforms as your um, billboard, but to actually be social. So if all you do is say, all right, uh, you, you know, uh, tea time is this, uh, make sure you come back to services and all you're doing is basically putting advertisements. Our minds are trained enough now to quickly go buy that. The biggest thing that you can do is actually be social, be pastoral. I mean, that's, uh, I, I can't remember who was saying that before the, um, you know, about just being pastoral, be pastoral on social media, use that time to be engaged with people, uh, you, you know, praying for people, being social, showing what you're doing, uh, maybe even more than having your perfectly slick produced video uh, sermon, show how you did it. Because people are curious, how did you do that? So have someone take cell phone as you have your little camera set up with your, and it's like, oh, so that's what it is. People are more apt to um, follow and engage in the more authentic that you are in things. So um, that that's what I'm saying. Do I still think, you know, you could use billboards and mailers and all those things? Absolutely. Of course, use those. But if you have diminishing budget, you've got social media, which is 100% free start there that's good um so so my church just planted a new campus um in this part of town it's kind of like the it's kind of void of kind of traditional protestant churches not traditional like churches like ours like like you know um bible believe like basically non-catholics non-lutherans like there's not a lot of churches in that area that are that are like fit in that demographic so it was kind of like this is a unique place where we're going to plant a church where there's not a lot of churches like this and so 
Um, but there were a handful of churches. And so one of my jobs that were given to me by my boss was like, hey, make sure you make a relationship with those churches in the area. Because some of those churches are like our friends. There's literally a church down the street that's a yeah. Hmong church that is actually an alliance church, Jeff. Mm. Um, yeah. But the, but and um, and like we're like, oh, we're, we're bros. We could, I mean, let me. But they specifically are targeting Hmong people. So like, we're, there's yeah. no competition there whatsoever. But there is a, a new church plant that just started um, about a year ago. And they're a little different than ours in, in, in some of their their style, a little more charismatic than us. But one thing I did is I got lunch with them and I said, hey, you know, the school you're in, we have teachers that are in the school and we want to build a relationship with the school, but I want us to be cool. And so we had a good lunch and we had a good time and we're like, hey, how can we reach this part of Wauwatosa for Christ together in whatever capacity that really looks like? And, and, I, and I heard Jeff, you know, he had at one point three church plants kind of meeting or three churches meeting within his church. And so, Danny, I guess my question is, is us as as pastors or campus pastors that establish churches, what can we do to support church planners in our community, especially if it's like me and Delmar who are planning new campuses and churches where there might be a new church planner already there? What are ways that we can like support church planners? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And um, I don't want to seem like I'm just pumping my podcast on here, but I, I literally just did an episode with John Ferguson. He's you know big in the exponentials. And we talked about this very issue and it is just so important. So if you're saying supporting church planners in, in your area is, and, and I'm hoping because this is what I'm telling church planners, go meet with the pastors. So exactly what you did, just take that lunch just take that coffee appointment. And I, I know what it's like, because I remember when I was a church planner and I was trying to meet with pastors, like, why would they not want to meet with me? And then all of a sudden, as Epicosa got a little more established and church planners want to meet, I'm like, why do they want to meet? We've got this area taken care of, you know, <laughs> uh, oh, type yeah. of thing. And it's just funny how the tables turn. And uh, what I have found over the years is that the more that you meet with pastors, even just on a relational level, uh, the less they tend to grow horns. So in other words, I would just, the more that I was disconnected from other pastors, I'd begin to think they're selling out. They're not teaching sound doctrine. You know, they're, they're doing these different, and it's like, you know what? And then I'd meet with them like, that is, that's just, that was just my own gross sinful nature that was basically allowing them to, you know, uh, fit this image of all these negative things. So I would say the biggest thing you can do to support is honestly just have that relationship. And where it really matters is when you do start to see people moving from church to church from the area, you as pastors really do get to say, hey, just a heads up, this person's coming. And here's the real story of why they're coming over, you know, so... And honestly, that's I found that's really practical, just honest with a lot of um, parachurch organizations in general. Like we we invited um, to our local pastor gathering, we invite the young life leaders, the adults to come because it's the same thing. Pull them into a, we're on the same team versus I know there was another church that that moved on our side of town and another church had a special call business meeting for how are we going to deal with the new church in town? Mm. That was told <laughs> yeah. to me this week. Yeah. Wow. I was like, wow. So I, I, this is not, I like, I promise it's not to toot my own horn. I have no like say in this. And I was just actually just literally impressed with this is there was a church plant um, that's, that's very similar to Epicos in my church that was not, not too far from one of our campuses who just started. 
and about maybe six families from our church were considering going to that church. Mm-hmm. And like, we not only absolutely gave them our, their blessing, we like guest preached at their church. And like, wow. it's one of those really, really cool things where it's like, uh-huh. we, we gave them some people. Um, and like, these are good people. Like, these are like top notch volunteers that were, I was like, we're just going to let them go like that. But like <laughs> the church is solid. Like I met their senior, the, the, the church planner pastor. Is it Danny, like, oh. Danny DeQuisto? Yeah, that guy. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's just it's just a good church. It's a good guy. And like we had different pastors in our church, like guest preach for him. And it's just one of those things where it's like that's a like that's actually being real and like saying we're willing to give up some people to make sure you launch successfully. And we're and we're gonna give you like good people. We're not gonna give you the people we want to leave. We want to give you some of our best people. And I and I, I was just impressed with our church seeing that and being like now looking at their Instagram and seeing them serve basically in a mobile church. And I'm like, oh man, I love seeing them serve, but I also love them. I wish to, this is all good for the kingdom at the end. And so that was good. Awesome. Hey, thanks, Danny. Any, again, well, I just want to make sure people hear this. What, like plug everything you want to hear. What's the podcast? Uh, what is it called? Where- yeah. Uh, you can just search 101 questions church planners ask. The handle for uh, Instagram is at church planters ask. Um, so yeah, I mean, would love to have people, uh, follow along and especially, and if anybody's listening to this is even considering church planning, um, just give me a direct message. Uh, again, I don't try to twist arms or force anybody or recruit anybody. It's really a matter of helping uh, guys to discern if that's what God has called them to. And it sounds like the Venn diagram of church planners and just like smaller churches. Like there's a lot of information that's going to be beneficial. I mean, even, even like I said, even hearing that clip on Instagram about the elders, I was like, yeah. oh, that's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, all right. Here's the question of the day. Um, someone, someone asked us in the Facebook group, what is a podcast we should all be listening to. And, I, and I'm, I, I clarified this. You don't have to spiritualize it. It doesn't have to be Craig Rochelle or whatever. What podcast um, should everyone be listening to that you're just loving and enjoying right now? I wake up every Wednesday morning very excited to drive to work that day because that means there's a new episode of The Office Ladies. And it's <laughs> just spectacular. I have long been the kind of person who gets super into shows about the time that there's an after show to discuss the show that I just watched. And so The Office being a show that I've binged probably three or four times, that's not true, seven or eight times all the way through. It's really fun to go back and hear people that were on the show give you the little inside things of here's why why this happened, and it's just entertaining. It's the perfect amount. It's the perfect amount of nerdiness in terms of like the details of The Office. It's 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 wonderful. Who else? I love a, a there's a podcast I listen to called Lore, L O R E. That's a good one. And uh, yeah, it's a pretty entertaining one. I I've I've almost listened back through the whole library now. I listen to podcasts like that when I'm like doing something else, um, like mowing the grass or cooking or whatever. Um, but it's basically like creepy stories from history i don't know how else to describe it but it's it's good it's pretty cool um my favorite one i listen to and i i generally hit this one real hard on like mondays and tuesdays and wednesdays is valuetainment have y'all heard of this one and it's really good it's by patrick um oh how do you say his last name bet and he's on youtube but he's also got a podcast and basically he's a second generation immigrant 
and he is i think he's like a multi-millionaire but he owns an insurance thing but really he he's really good at helping you cut through a lot of the the fluff that gets in the way shows you leadership principles he also does interviews like he sat down with a guy who used to be the head of the mafia for all of the usa and now he got out and he's like what made you get out what did you learn when you were in there because you know Mafia guys are entrepreneurs, so <laughs> <laughs> Delmar. I, I, yeah. I when I wrote this, when I when I put this question, I thought you were for sure either going to say Joe Rogan or Gary Vanderchuk. I just thought <laughs> for sure you're going to say one of those guys. <laughs> you know, okay, well, if you told me, you told me I, Joe Rogan. You know who was on there last night? Sorry, break it. The guy for Full House. What was his name? Um, Bob Saget. Bob Saget. Whoa. That is not anything like Danny he Tanner, is, fellas. He is oh, not no. Danny Tanner in real life. <laughs> Just no, he is saying, not. That, he is that, not. <laughs> that image shattered a long time ago when I heard him do oh, yeah. stand up. Yeah, but yeah, but I do oh. have a ton of respect for Joe. Mainly, if you ever watch him, he's fun just to study, like how he interviews yeah. somebody. And I am so glad that he's going over the Spotify making that. Anyways, but yeah, I think, but value tainment, honestly, check that one out. Um, he's got some really quick one offs that I think you would really love. I'm a little bit disturbed that no one has mentioned the morning after ministry show quite yet. Well, or, that goes without saying. I mean, well, there you that's go. too spiritual. <laughs> there you go. Danny, Danny, what, what's a good podcast? Yeah, so I'm a big NPR person. So How I Built This is uh, definitely one of the good ones. And Hidden Brain is also another one that I really like. And then for ministry ones, Carrie Newhoff is obviously bad. Yes. Just a good voice. So I'm a fan of stuff you should know, too. Yeah, yeah, that's a good yeah. NPR has some really good shows. Um, yeah, uh, there's a so I actually just got into Kerry Newhoff's podcast, which I know sounds weird as a pastor in my 30s. What? But uh, but uh, the I started because he interviewed Mike Todd from Transformation Church. Yeah, yeah. His sto- that story is ridiculous. Like even if like Michael Todd's not in the same kind of world that you like pastor in, like the story of being uh, uh like I think he's like in his like late twenties, early thirties, inheriting a church in the middle of, of um, Tulsa, Oklahoma, handed down from an older white pastor and going from a smaller church into an arena. Like there's, there's a lot of interesting stuff there. That's yeah. really so, so that's good. Um, uh, so you were talking about Laura, Jeff, radio rental is a new show that just came out and it, it's, it's um, uh, rain. Wilson is like one of the, host yeah. of the show it's actually but it's creepy it's a, it's a really interesting show but kind of like similar to what Delmar's talking about like I believe like every pastor should watch like Shark Tank or um, mm-hmm. The Prophet because I think like there's so many principles about like starting a business that can translate into um, like the pastoral ministry or whatever but uh, a show called Business Wars I think is really interesting because it uh, they juxtapose two businesses like Netflix and HBO or or uh, Pepsi and Coke, and they go through the history of it, and there's just some really interesting, like, hmm. things from history you never knew about those two companies, but then, like, just these, the errors they made along the way, and stuff like that, and, you know, in the Coke and Pepsi, they talked about, you know, getting the Jenner girl to do an ad to end racism, and how that kind of flopped in their face, and wah, wah. You know, all, all, all that kind of stuff, it's just, I don't know, I, I just love hearing from the business world, and thinking, like, oh, that's, that's interesting stuff. Guys, oh. these are great podcasts. These are, this is good. Hey, uh, well, thank you, Danny, for being here. Thank you, guys, uh, for, for being on the show. Andrew, I hope you enjoy your vacation. We're gonna I'm going to that phone off, bro. To your old hometown. Gonna oh, be Arkansas? In Ar- I'm going to be in Arkansas for 11 days. 
Yeah, vacation, Kansas. Vacationing in Arkansas. No one yeah. has ever said that. That's the weirdest thing. <laughs> that's, that's what happens when your in-laws live in Arkansas. All right. Well, thanks for listening to the show. Please subscribe wherever you are listening to this. Give us a review. So many people have given us five-star reviews, guys. It's been super, super nice. Uh, we would love for you to follow us on social media, Practically Pastoring. Join the Facebook group. Subscribe to the YouTube channel because now Delmar is going to be uploading the video portion of our, of oh, our things. You're going to see our face. You're going to see Andrew's laying in a bed. Um, you're going to see the great lighting of Jeff and, and Delmar, and you're going to see me just putting a lamp in my face. So this is this is good. <laughs> and uh, and join our Facebook group. Uh, uh, the conversation continues there. It's been great kind of like, you know, pr- praying for each other and then kind of talking about the highs and lows of our services. And it, yeah. it's been a good time. With that being said, I'm Frank Gill. I'm Jeff Simpson. I'm Delmar Pete. I am Andrew Larson. And I'm Danny Parmalee. And we're practically pastoring. See you next time.